Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the October 13, 2015 edition of Ask a Leader. Swimming against the stream of municipalities, states, and other jurisdictions supporting increases in a minimum wage, Irvine, under recent new leadership, walks back the minimum wage for city contractors. Co-chair of Irvine's Living Wage Campaign, that is Marianne Guido, returns to these airwaves to address a reversal of this misfortune. During the second half of the show, board member of the Newport Beach Public Library, Natasha Palmer, has a roster of forums for 2015-2016 that just doesn't quit. Speakers, more speakers, and book discussion groups. All honest endeavors in one of the state's most opulent zip codes. We'll be right back after a short station break. All right, everybody, thank you for staying with us. My first guest today is Mary Ann Guido, previously on Ask a Leader as one of the three mayoral candidates for the 2014 mayoral cycle. Unfortunately, uh, we didn't, uh, this was not a successful campaign, but it w always raises uh, awareness of voters, and we hope more voters are aware for the 2016 cycle. Lots is on at stake, and we'll talk about that now. Marianne Guido currently serves on the Irvine Planning Commission, where she's been since Councilmember Beth Crom appointed her in 2000. Marianne Guido has also served on the Planning Commission from 1986 to 90, and she's previously elected to two terms on the City Council from 1976 to 84. Marianne was Vice President of Advocacy and government relations for St. Joseph Health System. She was a founding member of the boards of Irvine Housing Opportunities, Jamboree Housing, the Kennedy Commission of Orange County, the Orange County Community Housing Corporation, and the Orange County Affordable Housing Clearinghouse. You can see where Marianne's thinking and energies are going here. She has been a board member of the National Interfaith Center on the Corporate Responsibility. Currently, Marianne serves as vice chair of the Irvine Community Land Trust and is a city-appointed board member of the Irvine Barclay Theater, also an institution that is under some additional kind of pressure here and having an existential threat with the current leadership. On a hike into Bomber Canyon, the trekker can see the plaque honoring Marianne's involvement in the city's extensive open space. She earned her B.A. from Rosary College in River Forest, Illinois, and did graduate work here at UCI. She's here today to take up efforts to restore Irvine's living wage ordinance. Welcome back to the show, Mary Ann Guido. Thank you very much, Claudia. I appreciate being able to talk with you this morning. Well, I want, with the, the kind of uh, uneven coverage of very municipal developments, it's uh, the community radio's uh, necessity, responsibility to, to give it as much as a high profile as we can. And folks, if you miss any portion of this or your friends never heard this show, they can always go to askaleader.com for these full interviews and you can bone up 
on this whole living wage ordinance effort here. Well, last May 26th, then on was June 9th uh, later, at the second reading of Council Members Chris Christina Shea's proposal, Irvine's current leadership took a step to reverse a public good with a four to one vote to repeal ordinance cities Irvine's living wage law now set at a medium of about $11 or 13 per hour for those not receiving health benefits or other job benefits. So I would like to read, it's a lovely penned ordinance language that I want to read so people understand what, what's on the line here, what's been reversed and why it's so important to do the right thing, do the humane thing for our workers with such such low wages. So I read from what the living wage ordinance used to say. And I quote, it is to ensure that employees of city services contractors can earn an hourly wage that is sufficient to live with dignity and to achieve economic self-sufficiency. The use of city funds to create living wage jobs is intended to decrease poverty, increase consumer income, invigorate community businesses, and reduce the need for taxpayer-funded social services. So uh, did you have a hand in that language? Who, was, who put that one together? That was Larry Agron took leadership on that uh, ordinance, Claudia. That was in 2007. So it, it's a, it is a marvel, and it's, uh, it's what civilization looks like, you know, word for word, folks. And that's why we were so, we're so happy. We're so glad that Marianne Guido is available as the, the co-chair for this effort now and going to make sure we have every opportunity to be involved with reversing this. Tell us what the practical effect of this repeal proposal would do to hundreds of low-income workers, Marianne Geidel? Well, uh, certainly the living wage for an honest day's work seems simple, right? Well, actually, it's not because uh, we are going in the wrong direction in the city of Irvine. When the entire nation is talking about income inequality, Irvine is going backwards. We're the only city to actually cut our living wage. Many, many cities, as you know, are currently raising the minimum wage so that uh, families, working families, will have an opportunity to actually live in a dignified way. So we are really very, very concerned here in the city of Irvine. On June 9th, in spite of three public hearings that you referenced, strong citizen opposition, strong clergy opposition, absolutely not, no support the city council voted to cut the Irvine minimum wage, called our living wage, from nearly $11 an hour to just under $9 an hour. This is going to hurt hundreds of Irvine city workers and other workers and their families because these are the people that are keeping our city clean and beautiful. These are people that we actually interact with on a daily basis in our city. They are the housekeepers. They're the janitors, the maintenance workers, the landscape workers, some childcare workers. We see them at our city hall, our city parks, our city aquatic center, the fine arts center, the park community centers, etc. These are people that we meet as we are taking our walks in the morning and they're maintaining our green belts and our park areas and our open space. These are people that we see at our child care centers. So they're human beings with families trying to get ahead 
and the very mean-spirited cut of $2 an hour really could force them back down under the poverty level. Well, so that we can get a very vivid idea of what leadership currently looks like with the people that turned out, the public that turned out at those three meetings to present their case, what did those presenters see on the dais? What, what was the reaction? What were the comments? What was the follow-up questioning? What affected the four-to-one uh, composition of the city council present? It, it, was, it was varied, and it appeared to be ideological. There didn't seem to be any reason that for a, a vote other than they were opposed to it on ideology, ideological basis. One city council person thought that reducing the wages even lower would allow contract workers to hire more people and give everybody a very low income wage and so the lowest wages could allow additional additional people and this this type of argument we've heard uh, unfortunately from even some of the uh, halls of economists but it it really doesn't make much sense we know that raising the minimum wage would actually be a financial lift for everyone and have no effect on the unemployment rate it, it stimulates our economy and boosts our public health. And when the city council people suggested that somehow this would help our economy because contractors wouldn't have to pay the, their workers as much in, in the future, that that would stimulate the economy. And, and our argument, of course, was that this would be the opposite. Low-income people, as you know, don't stash their their uh, savings in offshore accounts. They're spending right in our own neighborhoods. They're helping our economy locally. So if they've got dollars, they are spending them here. And it really is a help to our local economy. And it certainly isn't affecting in any way unemployment rates. Well, how about besides the fiscal uh, aspect? Uh, the There is a kind of a psychic, I think, outcome. I think the morale of both the low-income workers and perhaps the morale of the salaried workers on uh, around the municipality. Can you, I, I, you're a planning commissioner, you're high visibility, so I don't know how much might be directed to you directly, but it, it, can you take a little pulse on what morale is like when these kinds of initiatives are, are walked back? Well, certainly the morale is low among workers because they fear that uh, if the contract workers are getting this type of a cut, the, uh, the actual employees at the city may, may be facing cuts in, in various ways. This obviously has a ripple effect and has, uh, has really caused workers to, uh, to take notice. Most people really have felt like they wanted to join in solidarity with uh, those who are excluded from the living wage policy, however. And to their credit, we are very, very pleased that uh, the workers at City Hall really do uh, support restoring the Irvine living wage. Wow. They're, they're expressing that. They're, I mean, I, they are. It's a, it's a delicate... At least, at least uh, privately, but I, I okay. believe the Orange County Employee Association itself 
has publicly taken a stance in support of our restoration of the Irvine living wage. Well, I keep going back to the, the how morale has a, an impact on productivity and other kinds of contributions a worker can make in the workplace. Isn't, isn't that mm-hmm. a concern as well? Well, certainly, certainly. And we know that these contract workers are doing the hardest jobs there are, are cleaning our toilets, keeping the uh, grass trimmed, and taking, uh, taking chances and dealing with a lot of large equipment on our tree trimming issues. So we know that the type of work that is really being accomplished is very important and has to be professional and should be treated as professional. So we are working, in, as I say, in solidarity with all of the workers in the city of Irvine and Orange County. Remember that workers who are employed by these large contractors, many of whom have multi-million dollar contracts, work part-time in the city of Irvine and then work part-time in Buena Park, for instance, or Placentia or other cities in Orange County. And rather than having a contractor bid on a, on a multi-million dollar contract at the very lowest price, we are requiring that these contractors pay at least a decent wage and give benefits and treat their workers in a dignified fashion, keeping, of course, the bottom feeders out of the, uh, the bidding process. So since 2007, we have had no problem at all, and throughout the recession, we had workers working at the living wage, receiving benefits and vacation days as other workers in the city of Irvine. This step backwards is absolutely disgraceful in my opinion. Well, for those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Mary Ann Guido, Irvine Planning Commissioner and co-chair of the Irvine Living Wage Campaign. We're talking about the living wage ordinance that was rolled back this last June. We're talking about here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FN Irvine and streaming around the world on the web at KUCI.org. And there was a column, I believe it was the Sunday New York Times editorial about not every, you know, not every municipality can deal with adjusting upward the minimum living wage. But as you pointed out, the contractors really, we have the resources here, the city, the contracting employers, this could be done. It's, it, it's sort of, it's truly amazing that we are seeing this and I, and I don't know what the what's the ideology for being mean though what I don't understand what that is what does that look like well we we saw the uh, cruelty from the dais on those three public hearings and as as speaker after speaker including many clergy members spoke the uh, the council members did not uh, budge they they felt like they they wanted to make a point for their ideology and did not really want to discuss anything, including, of course, the um, the fact that almost every religious organization has a at its very core the dignity and worth of every every person. Well, describe for us, Marianne, what kind of well. Let's talk about the organizers are organized now. Uh, symbolically, you you launched this campaign for 
getting signatures. Uh, you launch it on Labor Day. The petition is to collect signatures to qualify an ordinance reversal, the vote reversal to restore the ordinance on the November 2016 ballot. All, and all initiatives now are on the general election ballot. They're no longer on the primary ballot. So that's why we wait until all until November of next year. Well, full disclosure, I have to say, listeners, I myself have some blank petitions that I am circulating. So I just want to get that little part out of the way. But um, so tell us what the petition drive uh, is doing, where you're going, and uh, we'll, we'll eventually get to how people can pick up their own blank petitions and circulate them as well. Well, thank you. Yes, we are um, using the power of the citizens petition to restore this wage cut. In California, we actually have direct democracy available to us, and that is called the initiative process. If we are able to get valid signatures from 10% of the Irvine voters, we will have a valid initiative that could be placed, as you pointed out, on the November 2016 election. Or, of course, it could be presented to the city council who could, by majority vote, reinstate it and not place it on the va- ballot. But oh, it could. This, yes, yes. Those are two options. And uh, either way, we would be very, very pleased because we think if it goes on the ballot in November that the majority of voters in Irvine will support it. But thank you for pointing out that uh, we now have this this power of the citizens petition and in fact our launch was labor day we have over 1500 signatures gathered so far and the public has been so very supportive and we are not getting pushback specifically on party affiliation on religious affiliation on age or gender or ethnicity we are crossing the spectrum of the city of Irvine, and we are getting wonderful responses as our opportunity to talk with people, explain the issue, and collect the signatures continue. So you need... Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, we would love to have more people, of course, talking to their neighbors, getting uh, signatures on our ballots so that we give a strong message to this city council that, no... This has gone too far. We will not accept this. We want to restore this living wage ordinance word for word. This is nothing different than we've done in the last eight years. This restores dignity and worth to all of the people that are working in our city. So you need 10,000 signatures. You've got about 1,000. What's the deadline for collecting the... We actually have six months, so it's like the middle of February. But we would like to finish this before Christmas so that... We can uh, stuff a stocking. Take <laughs> take some time, take a breath, and and make sure that we can uh, deliver the exact number of signatures, or more than the exact number of signatures, to the city council, and give them that message that uh, we 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 won't stand for this. We need the restoration of the living wage. Well, I, I won't put this on you to make the point. I'm interested in making the point myself. I'd be happy to is that 
putting this kind of a petition, an initiative on our municipal ballot would get an, an additional, a deeper conversation about what municipal leadership ought to look like or could look like, what vision well, and humanitarian sorts of sensibilities look like in, a, in print. I would like to think so. And as I say, this opportunity for us to talk to individuals throughout the city of Irvine at various locations has really given us this message that we, we live among really caring people here in the city, and, uh, and their sense of justice and injustice is, is very keen. And so most people realize this is a misguided effort on the part of the city council majority, and they willingly will sign this initiative in order to put this ballot measure before all of the Irvine voters. Marianne Guido, what is the sense of the petition's uh, signature collector's reactions? Are people aware this has happened, or was this a bit off the radar for citizens? Not as, yeah, there aren't as many people that know about it, because, as you know, unfortunately, KUCI doesn't reach as many voters as we'd like. Our newspapers have not carried the article that are the daily newspapers have not carried the article. So we we are depending upon our, our monthly newsletter, the Irvine Community News and Views newspaper, and other online information, and then just door-to-door, person-to-person information. Well, and as you're fanning out to these signatures, you're going to, as you said, houses of worship, you're going to, uh, I'm, well, I'm, I'm hoping I can find some uh, signatures around the radio station. <laughs> but uh, there are a number of places that you're making a concerted effort to Yes, to and get we the went support. to the campus, UCI campus discovery 50th anniversary event. Yes. And we were successful in uh, talking to many, many people at that event. We've gone out to the Solar Decathlon and talked to, to folks there. We've talked to folks at their place of worship. We have been invited by pastors and rabbis and imams to, uh, to talk with uh, religious congregants so that everyone understands that this is an issue, as I said earlier, that affects everyone. All religious traditions affirm that work contributes to the dignity of, of a person well, and I've, that we have to reach yes. out to the margins. Everywhere. As the, yes. as the city becomes ever larger and a little less concentrated around the municipal developments. So I, I just wanted to post a different development that shows the momentum here in undermining the kind of uh, acknowledgement of work toward the city is that uh, this, the leadership isn't that subtle, that the postings for the open positions for the city are all like a large proportion of them are part-time jobs. Well, I'm, you know, I, I really can't comment on that as much as the overall issues of the economy today and the willingness of our city, which has a very healthy budget, to, to think about workers and workforce. Well, I think it's something, it's a cautionary note here that, that I mean, I've, I've actually approached some workers from time to time. They're very 
they're very careful. But when I just say, well, I just want to tell you, I, I understand that there may be some kind of morale issue going on. And morale can really be a toxic kind of workplace element. So uh, this, the leadership is really uh, sort of thinning the herd of uh, institutional heft I would be concerned about. Well, certainly. Absolutely. So I want you to give us a chance to tell us how folks can get more information about this petition uh, signature gathering effort, where they can go, where maybe there are other events, where where you suggest people go, where they can pick up their empty signatures. I mean, we got them in the Irvine, the city news that was distributed, I believe, on Sunday. There's there's about four different uh, petition signature slots there. But where can people get more information to follow the Irvine Living Wage campaign? Well, very easily, of course, would be to go online and to just go to Irvine Living Wage Initiative. IrvineLivingWage.com, actually, is all you need to do. And so we we have information online. We have information in the Irvine Community News and Views, which is can be picked up at a, a newsstand and or uh, online. And the, the coalition is really a grassroots effort, so we, we meet uh, every Saturday at... Eleven man? Yes, uh-huh, trying to make sure that we, we come together, pick up petitions. We've had various uh, opportunities to uh, go meet in other folks' homes around the city, and deliver petitions to homes. So if anyone would like to be involved in the organization, I would encourage going to the website, calling the numbers, putting a name in, and making sure you contact us, get involved, and we can, uh, we can get information to you right away. And I have to make a pitch for, there's, there's dividends, folks, when you contribute for this humanitarian effort. There's always a tremendous sense of well-being you get from pitching in some efforts like this. Good. Well, thank you very much, Claudia. Absolutely. I appreciate your letting us get this word out to the community, and everyone is welcome. People do not have to be a a registered voter in order to circulate, but you need a partner who is. So we, we have plenty of partners. We have plenty of goodwill and we encourage participation. Right. The partner is the one who needs to sign the bottom of the petition that they mm-hmm. were the collector so that it's all, yeah. there's no challenging any signatures or any process there. So that's it's got to be ironclad. So all that we clear the bar, that's the goal. And I, I've already given the full disclosure, my little skin in this one. So I'm, yes. I'm happy to, well, Mary Ann Guido, Irvine Planning Commissioner and Co-Chair of the Irvine Living Wage Campaign. Thank you for your time. And Marianne, thank you for your unwavering service to the community here and and beyond. You don't just do it for the city. You do it in a big way, but you do it all the way out to a much, much broader domain. And I honor you, and I always thank you for that. Oh, thank you very much, Claudia. Well, all the best. Thanks for coming on the show today. Okay. I worked in your orchards of peaches and prunes. We'll be right back after a short station break with Natasha Palmer. Stay tuned. It's green pastures of plenty from dry desert ground. From the Grand Coulee Dam where the waters run down. Every state in this year on the Hurricane Railroad. 
Welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest is filling in for, I had posted on the website, Tracy Keys. She's the executive director for the Newport Beach Fa Library Foundation. And I want to say the Public Library Foundation. Don't let me miss that word there. It's a mighty important one. Filling in for Tracy Keys. And uh, just at the last moment, I'm so grateful to her, is my dear friend Natasha Palmer. She serves on the board of the Newport Beach Public Library Foundation. And we're going to talk this morning about the, the rich, the embarrassment of riches that they're rolling out for us in so many different programs and events. Welcome to the t show, Natasha Palmer. Thank you, Claudia. This is special. I'm so glad to be part of the radio show. Well, thank you, because it's so important that we get to talk about all of the amazing things that go on with the foundation. First of all, I have to say this. I've always been wanting to say that this fabulous library has books that we're not looking for, which I am now saying to all my academic friends that are new to the area with their UC System library cards. That today we're going to talk about this robust line of special events as, and as well the de rigor book discussion groups. Let's start, Natasha, with Library Live. And folks, if you missed the first writer, the first author that was there, fear not, Maz Jobrani is booked to speak next week. That's Tuesday, October 20th at 7 p.m. So it, uh, was that hard to book him? Was that, I mean, he's all over the... Oh, it, yeah, is it, that was really special. You see, we work on our program a year in advance. And uh, Maz Jobrani was, was difficult, but we got him, and Woo! we're very pleased to have him, is that he is a comedian, an author, and a producer. And it would be real interesting, anybody over at UCI or within the Orange County area, if you are an actor, if you're a comedian, if you're into producing, he is a fabulous person to listen to, and he's going to be funny. It'll be a kick. We've heard him on radio. I mean, uh, wait, wait, don't tell me. He's yeah, he's yeah, he's, yes, he's such he's a fresh also presence. Quite famous on TED Talk, so he's a, he's he's a real powerhouse. Yes. So, and and the lovely part about this, I've had the opportunity of going to a number of these particular events. I'm not sure which ones, if they're the live library or the witty lectures. Some of them I know for sure are the witty lectures, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, it's that there is a real opportunity for people to interact with them. There's lots of, you give the folks time to ask lots of questions and you let them linger with the the, the spread that's available there. So, and I, and as we're talking about the speakers, I also want to give you a chance to say, you know, out there, you give people a pretty decent break. I mean, you've got your expenses to cover. I understand that, but um, the parking's free, but there are tickets and there's a sliding scale. You give teachers and students a break. Absolutely do, and and seniors too. Is that, and I think that's a really important point that you're making. Uh, we bring in these wonderful speakers. We've had Doris Kearns Goodwin. We've had the playwright Tony Kushner. We've had a lot of very well known and very in demand speakers. And as the years are going by, the price keeps going up and up and up. And we're trying very hard to keep our ticket price low because the ticket price doesn't co cover the cost of the speaker. So that's why we need more foundation members and uh, so we can keep bringing you world-class speakers that folks was a pitch for foundation support too so that's I'm, I'm glad we're getting to that so after Maz Jobrani rocks the rocks the the library house you've got Phil Clay coming up yes 
Jill Clay, he's an author and veteran of the Marine Corps, and so uh, he's, he's a writer by trade. His book is From the Front Lines of War, Exploring Themes of Violence, Survival, Grief, and Fear. And I think it's really important. Uh, we have a lot of genres out there, including movies like The Hurt Locker, but to actually talk to somebody who was in the theater of war and to give his background on it, and he is a very, uh, very good author. So it would be, I think it's important for all of us at this time to, to come on November 5th at 7 p.m. and listen to Phil Clay speak about his experiences. Very poignant. And then you've got Daniel James Brown, who's really made a name of himself. Yes. And, and this I'm not, we're not going to get to very, very exciting yes. for all of those who have book groups out there. This is an excellent book. Is that Daniel James Brown uh, is, is a New York Times bestselling author of The Boys in the Boat. And it's about the nine Americans and that epic quest for gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Uh, they started out in the state of Washington, and, and it's, it's wonderful uh, because it takes us back in time and understanding that at that time, education wasn't for everybody. It was always pretty much for the elite and who could afford it. And you have these scrapping young men who took it upon themselves, and they went for the gold. It's, it's, it, he is going to be fascinating. It, it will be really fun. Don't forget, it's going to be a... Daniel James Brown, Thursday, February 11th, 7 p.m. Get your tickets because this one is definitely going to sell out. This is really exciting. And he's already been on the book club circuit, so he's probably got this thing down. He's probably starting to add to his shtick here. So there's, yeah. uh, it, it's it's really, really remarkable. And I want to add here, too, absolutely. is that the library offers book club discussion groups, uh, and they're moderated by our librarians. So if you're looking for a book club to join, you can always come to the Newport Beach Library, and we have a wonderful list of books for the year. And we, I have, you'll see my little thunder, we're going to bring up later because I want to pay homage to one of the people who helped institutionalize that who's no longer with us. So then we have Les Stanford filling out the rest of the calendar. Yes, um, Les Stanford. Is it, um, could you fill me in on that one? I hadn't. Oh, well, never mind. I, I'm, I don't have the website pulled up. These are my yeah. notes here. So anyway, folks, that's the filling out of Les. So then, Natasha, you have the witty lectures originally underwritten by Jean Witte, and I'm sure she's getting a little bit of help now from others to support this. You okay. have uh, right. Jessica. The Witte family has been exceptional in, in all of this, and um, we just shout out to them is that it wouldn't happen. Is that My background is that I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, and I had worked for the World Affairs Council in San Francisco developing programs and bringing in speakers. When I came down here in the mid-'90s, that's the first thing I sought out was, where am I going to go to to listen to these cutting-edge people that can educate me about the world around me? And it was the witty lecture series that I saw, and then I started to attend. The children were still young, so we were taking advantage of all that we could in the library, all the children's programs. But the adult programs, to me, are just fascinating. And my children have grown up with them. And, um, yeah, so the, thank you, witty family, for doing that. Absolutely. And then I do want to point out the difference between the Library Live and the Witty series. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. The Library Live, uh, is it's, they bring in prominent literary figures in fiction and nonfiction, but we also present the emerging talent. And that's what Library Live is all about, and that's what their focus is all about, is that where the Witty Lecture Series is what we try to do is that uh, we bring in prominent speakers and, and uh, intellectuals who... Keep, kind of keep
keep us engaged in the zeitgeist of what's happening around the world right now. So we have we have an excellent uh, series that we're going to kick off uh, with Jessica Fellows. Jessica Fellows, A Year in the Life of Downton Abbey, and she is the niece of Julian Fellows who founded uh, or produced Downton Abbey. And she should be a real kick because, as you know, this is the last season of Downton Abbey, and we got her. We got her for January 22nd, Friday night, um, and she is going to be lots of fun. Is that She's going to tell us about the background. She's going to do a compare and contrast of women of that time to women of today. And she recently came out with a book, uh, and it's called A Year in the Life of Downton Abbey, where she puts in recipes uh, that go throughout the year of what was appropriate at that time. So it's, she's going to be lots of fun to, to be with. And I hope everybody who is a lover of Downton Abbey, I hope you guys will show up for that one. As I said that, that earlier, is that this one's going to be really, really popular. So once again, that's Friday, January 22nd, 2016, Jessica Fellows. And then there's Roost. Chast? I'm not familiar. Uh, let me pronounce it for you, because she is a kid. Roz Chast. Okay. It's her name, and she is a cartoonist uh, for the New Yorker, and she has a way of putting life's most difficult things into a humorous situation. And many of you might have read her book. Yes. And it's about the aging of her parents and, and, and what's that like. And she put it in cartoon form. Um, it's called Can't We Talk About yes. Something More Pleasant? And it's going to be um, it's about the, her parents as they get older and as she struggles with it and her guilt, um, her shame, but then her joy. And uh, it will be a lovely evening because many of us are in that position right now as our, child, as our parents are growing older. As children, we didn't know that we were going to be taking care of them, and Roz helps us along the way in a humorous way. Yes, and I, I've, I've actually heard her interview, and certainly clobbered, clobbered the first name there, but uh, it's been, um, uh, it, she does have a lot to offer. Then Mazir Bahari was made famous by his own work, and then The Daily Show's intrusion on his political activism. That's coming up in the, the 2016, later Absolutely. in the calendar. Absolutely, Mazir Bahari. Was that hard to get? The Rosewater uh, uh, a person that we've known so well through, through John Stewart, and he's going to speak about the Iranian Odyssey and what it was like to put all this together and to get this message out. Is that we're hearing so much about Iran now? I think that the doors are opening up. We're even going to hear more about the life and the times. But it was John Stewart and Maziar Barahi that actually put it on the map, and we're lucky to have him. That's going to be Friday and Saturday, February 19th and 20th. Okay, and that's the, usually the 19th for the video lectures that you have. The first day is a kind of the more of the gala of the two, and then the, the afternoon following, the day following, is where you've got uh, more affordable tickets. So there's, there's a, a form for everybody there. There's a form for everybody. So we designed the Friday you know, evening, usually adult. Saturday we were hoping to bring in the high school and those who have a hard time getting out at night. Um, so is that you'll please come to either one. That would be be a, a, a nice, uh, informative evening. And you have Sherman Alexi and David Ignatius to fill out the calendar. You want to say anything oh, yeah. about what they're so doing? Sherman Alexi, he's going to talk about his book, Without Reservations, an Urban Indian's Comic, Poetic and Highly Irreverent Look at the World. So he was the winner of the Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction, and he is going to be quite a draw. Um, is that uh, He's a poet, a short story writer, novelist, and a performer, which makes it really fun when you have a speaker like Sherman Alexi. 
And that's going to be Friday and Saturday, March 11th and 12th. Okay. And Dave Ignatius. We've seen him all over. He's been on... <laughs> On the public That's my television, favorite, and I push for David Ignatius, especially, uh, especially being an election year, is that he is just so smart and informed, and he is going to talk to us about ISIS and the world on fire. As you know, he's a best-selling author and a Washington Post columnist, so um, he helps us make sense of this crazy world out there, and, and it's going to be a, a real honor to have David Ignatius with us. So I can't let everybody keep wondering, now, who are we talking to right now? So if if you've just joined us, my guest is Natasha Palmer. She is a Newport Beach Public Library Foundation Board member. Today on Ask a Leader, we're talking about the amazing offerings from their foundation. It's just, oh, I don't know, what do we talk about? Eight, eight, less than eight miles. as The the crow flying, I think, would be down to four and a half. Let me tell you a little bit why we started. Tell us how you started. Great. It was back in 1989, and there was a whole grassroots effort that wanted to build a central library for Newport Beach. The foundation was put together, and we did a collaborative uh, public-private partnership with the city of Newport Beach. And our goal was to raise funds for this library. We raised $2.2 million in private funds, and the library was built about five years later. Um, Since then, is that uh, we... Our goal is that we support the library where the city cannot. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the library's budget from the city only allocates 9% to materials. So wow. the foundation supplements the material budget with more than $200,000 annually, and it provides almost 300000 for core programming. So without our help, we wouldn't have a media and sound lab, and we wouldn't have the new self-checkout machines or the the vast ebooks and audiobooks that we have we've recently added lynda.com it's a tutorial program and people are so excited about that and I don't know if you ever tried it but it's no. lynda l y n d a.com you can get that through the library as long as you have your library card so that's what we do and it's so important and I think it's really important for everyone out there to be a part of that uh, we serve the, the greater Orange County area, so uh, Newport Beach, but then Costa Mesa and beyond is that we have about 3,000 visitors a day, probably more considering those who are doing the e-books. And the city of, of Newport Beach can't do it by themselves, is that they need the foundation. And I urge everyone out there, please join us. And if you go on to um, www.nbp lf.com that's Newport Beach Public Library Foundation and sign up you can sign up for as little as $50 and that gives you discounts on the tickets seniors can sign up for as little as $25 but we also encourage you to think about giving more because we can't do all this especially these great speakers if we don't have more donations if we didn't have this at Newport Beach through the foundation we'd all have to drive up to LA and you or, know we don't like that or you can you can <laughs> you could drive over to the Peltzen Drive there's a few decent speakers that come to the university on occasion oh very good very good <laughs> uh, of, of course we can't i i would be remiss if i mentioned that there, absolutely there. and we do we do have a program with UCI yes. and it's, it's we work with uh, your medical researchers so it's um 
But that, too, is something we do. So I encourage everyone to come by, learn more about the library, and please join the foundation. And I just want to say how much I've enjoyed. I mentioned that I had chances, that people have chances to interact with the speakers that come to your forums. Frank Bruni was a complete delight. Got to hang with him a little bit afterward. And Anna DeVere Smith, been in touch with her agent ever since getting to meet her. And Sandra Singh Lowe was a, was a kick. To, to hear, and she's just keeps being a rising star here with her irreverent uh, depictions of her uh, maturing as a woman in the Southland. So there's there's so much. And now I'd like, let's talk a little tiny bit before we close about Newport Beach Library's book discussion groups. You've got a wonderful institution going here, and it's this is my golden opportunity to take stock of the dear departed book reading poetry writing maven Charlie Alexander. Now it's under new leadership, this group with Susan Grow. Tell us a little bit about what's planned for this year. Natasha, are you there? I wonder. I think we might have lost her there. Um, I, I could carry that. That the Susan Grow will an assistant librarian there at the session. I'm, Susan Grow leads these groups now. She's the curator of the books that they have. And it's, it's, it's a marvel. And people that are going there, it's during the daytime, though. I don't have the exact times, but you can find them on the website that Natasha Palmier was talking about, events at Newport Beach Public Library Foundation.org, the NBPLF.org. Um, so there is also a memoir writing workshop with Jean Ardell. So I think between these many programs that you can all find something amazing to, to do. And as Natasha advised us, that tickets are going to be moving pretty fast because these people have quite the high profile and uh, the people around Newport Beach have a have a, a way of getting those tickets sooner than later. So, And if you think, though, that it's a, a sold-out event, uh, fear not, because uh, there's always going to be some space, some ticket available. So I, I want to thank, I don't know what happened to Natasha, but uh, she is the A, one of several, Newport Beach Public Library Foundation board members. She's courteously filled in for Tracy Keys, who was not didn't have a voice this morning. So uh, I really, really appreciate her coming on there. So I'm going to just uh, just pause with a short uh, station break as we're going to go into some announcements for the rest of the week. Uh, platform there, shakeout.org forward slash California, and you can pick up all kinds of uh, interesting things to do. If you don't have lots of... Um, cash stashed away so when your ATM goes down, if you don't have your solar radio that has the USB drive uh, to recharge your cell phone, uh, if you don't have the, all those canned goods and water uh, stored in your garage, you're, when the big one hits, you're going to be pretty upset about that. But this, the Great Shakeout really tells you also how to activate yourselves in the, um, in the shakeout moment, where to put yourself and where to, to, um, to go in the safest place. And now I want to put in a word for play that I'd mentioned during my interview with Linda Vo and Tremblay. Their Vietnamese American Oral History Project was the catalyst for Key Nguyen's new play. It's still possible to catch it at the Argeros Theater at South Coast Rep from now till October 24th. And I tried to chase Key Nguyen down to get to this mic, but the guy is too dang busy. 
and getting ready this, to get this world premiere over to Manhattan after it's done in Costa Mesa. Oh, and uh, another attraction is that solar decathlon. Sunday was hot, and so were the tour guides showing off their leading ed tech to edge technology and their lovely home this next thursday through sunday you can still check it out with the um, from 11 in the morning till 7 p.m i think i need to head back there uh, because there's one more time it's there's so much to get from that and uh, every person that takes you through the house has something different to say about that house there's 14 of them and you can go to the department of energy.org website to find out everything you can pick up your beautiful brochure at the 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 head desk there the head tent and find out about all those 14 units so it's a slightly a different routing this time the hardband limousine buses shuttle you after you circumnavigate the entire park around five points blocking off their lack of progress around the great park oh I digress. So uh, if you heard from my interview, you heard from Craig Reams, you'll detect a bit of lack of enthusiasm that the current leadership has for this biennial event. So don't forget to get on over to try out the Solar Decathlon. So uh, that, folks, that is my wrap. Next week, we'll devote the whole hour to Fran Solomon, founder of Heal Grief. It's a very interesting enterprise and a domain supporting the bereaved. So uh, talk with you next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 